Welcome to our Better Together gathering, week two. We are super excited to have Tallgrass at the well. And if you're watching online, and even if you're here in person, we just in invite you to go ahead and like and share the video feed. Uh, we think what, one of the things as we keep talking about the possibilities of collaboration and partnership is that really the gospel, um, the, the gospel really is played out in, in our unity. Not, not only, but, but especially in this divided age where people are uh, splitting is just so easy to have two churches that come together and get along so well and, and collaborate and partner together is, is an example of what the gospel looks like in real life. And so we just want to spread that to Manhattan and, and the region. And so you can like and share this video feed. Um, just a couple announcements. Uh, giving is, uh, uh, you should know hopefully where your, your, your giving page is on, online. If you're online or in person, you can give online at uh, either tallgrass.church slash give or thewellmhk.com slash give. And then in the back, by the sound booth here, we have the two boxes. We have the black box for tall grass, and we have the joy box uh, from the well. Yes, love that. Um, and then uh, my final announcement is that we have our pizza party. Again, I just want to remind you, and if you're online, there's no shame. I missed church today, but I caught it, and I want to show up for pizza. No one's going to say anything. We would love to have you show up for pizza because uh, you're here anyway. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be at 1130. Uh, we would just invite a, f uh, a few of us, if you could stick around and help kind of transition the room over. We've got to roll out some tables and, and get that situated. So, uh, no further ado, let me invite Pastor Ben Deaver up, and he's going to share our teaching today. Thanks, Ben. Thanks. Thanks, Josh. Hey guys, Tallgrass at the Well, this, this, last week was fun, wasn't it? This week's fun. I'm, I'm enjoying this. I'm excited. I know uh, if you have questions about what are we doing here, what's the end goal, we all have those questions and we'll keep asking them and this week we'll be really asking that and try to figure out, hey, what's going to happen next week with Tallgrass Church and the Well? Um, and it you know, makes me wonder, you know, what is God up to with Tallgrass Church, with the Well, but even bigger than that, the church in general, in the U.S., you know, what is God up to in this moment in uh, history, 2021? So continue to invite you to be present with one another and I get used to some of the things, you know, I'm getting used to these, these bright lights and um, I'm getting used to the joy box and the black box, dun, 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 you know. <laughs> The black box is, uh, you know, when the, when the plane goes down, that's what you go find to see what happened to it. So, you know, if things go down and we go find the black box, we find it was empty, that's what happened. Um, yeah, so, um, and we will have pizza together. Uh, just full, dis so full disclosure, so the well knows kind of a little about who we are. Uh, you know, we're not that funny, we're a little bit cheesy, so we have pizza parties. Uh, Dave put together uh, a slide. We don't have it. It says exploring kingdom pizza abilities. So um, the well, you can get used to us and see what you think. Um, okay, so I'm thinking about this week. I've been thinking, what in the world is God up to with Tallgrass Church, with the well, with the church at large? How will the watching world know that we follow Jesus? That's a good question to think about. How will your neighbors who are kind of watching your life, and I, I assure you they are, even if they, they may not uh, appear to be, they're watching your life if you profess to follow Christ. How will they know that you follow Christ? 
Is it, you know, singing great songs? And I've really enjoyed the band these last two weeks and the sound system. Is it keeping up on your Bible reading plan? Uh, Making sure your prayer meetings happen? Is it uh, being a part of of a really cool church or a really cool small group? Is it... Uh, actually, your devotion to Christ, is that what will show the watching world that you follow Christ? Well, let's let Jesus uh, tell us, uh, in his words, how the watching world will know that you follow Christ, and actually they themselves will want to join you in that, that pursuit of Christ. So this is in the Upper Room Discourse. This is John 13, 34 to 35. And if you have your Bible, you can turn there. We'll also have the text um, on three slides. Wow, this is great. Three slides. We didn't even have to set them up. Um, This is what he says to his disciples. At the end of his his life, uh, his ministry on this earth, and he culminates and he gives them these words. He says, a new commandment I give you. This is a new commandment. What's it going to be? The new commandment from Jesus Christ, this carpenter from Nazareth. Here it is. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you. And again, this is before he goes to the cross. So they've already experienced something of the love of Christ. You also are to love one another. And in fact, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another. Seems simple enough. If we can focus on loving one another within a family, and we all get to choose if we get to be a part of this, you know, it's opt-in, opt-out when it comes to the church, and so we can pick our church. We just love one another. The watching world will see that. They'll be like, these people follow Jesus, and I can see myself following Jesus, and it's going to be awesome. Simple, and it is simple, but it's not easy. So I've often wondered, why, why did Jesus, he build his whole ministry to this point where he kind of gives this basic command? All of this, then it's the big drum roll is love one another. He's already taught the, the great uh, teaching of love your enemy. Remember that one? That came way early in his ministry. So I've been thinking about this over these years. What is more difficult? Is it to love one another or to love your enemy? So so think about that. I want you to kind of lean into the biblical ethic of love and see how Jesus develops this in his life and ministry. So in Matthew 5, this is Jesus early in his ministry, right? Talking to a a bunch of uh, curious Jews and maybe there's some others overhearing him. And this is what he says. He says, you have heard that it was said in the Torah, the Old Testament, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And Jesus talks a lot about loving God with all your heart, strength, soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, you know, that's, those are great phrases. Of course, people try to distinguish, well, who exactly is my neighbor? Well, actually, anyone in the world can be your neighbor. Um, and, and by the way, the idea of love your neighbor, uh, that's very palatable in our culture. We actually have some t- stickers that say, love thy neighbor, y'all. And I was thinking, man, I, I don't know anyone in Manhattan who wouldn't slap that sticker on the back of their car except for all the people that are uh, principally opposed to stickers on their cars. But most people love the idea and the language of love thy neighbor, love your neighbor. But this one's a little harder. Jesus, early in his ministry, said, you shall, 
you've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. We all get that. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even these dirty, rotten, scoundrel tax collectors do that. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than that? Even these terrible Gentiles do that. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So he's, he's speaking to this Jewish audience and teaching them the way uh, of loving your enemy. Now, Jesus is setting the tone here for what's to come in the body of Christ. Little did these Jews know that not far in the future, the Gentiles, the tax collectors, even the Roman centurions, many of them would be part of their community. And the blind between who is my enemy and who is my uh, neighbor and who is my one another who I'm called to love would become very, very blurred. So he's upping the ante for what love is, but he's going to ratchet it way, way up where it's not just, uh, he said, you know, if a Roman soldier says, walk with me a mile, go with him too. It's going to get way more intense than that. If a Roman centurion comes to faith in Christ, welcome him into your community and work towards depth of relationship, even if that centurion has crucified one of your closest friends. So he, he's on a pathway to the most extreme form of love, and it's to be experienced here. So D.A. Carson, he, he's really the first uh, scholar that I heard, um, I, I was hearing him talk, and he was asking the question, so why did this command to love one another come way after this, this what seems to be more difficult, love your enemy? And here's what uh, D.A. Carson says. He says, the new command to love one another, it's simple enough for a toddler to memorize. So we could all memorize it right now. Love one another, you know, as I have loved you, so you love one another. So our kids can even memorize and appreciate this, but it's profound enough that the most mature believers among us are repeatedly embarrassed at how poorly we comprehend it and put it into practice. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So I was trying to think of the perfect song to pull all generations together in this room. And... Um, so any Weezer fans out there? Okay, great, great. Now, I know my daughter's not here, um, but any AJR fans out there? Anyone know AJR? Okay, yes, there we go. Is, that, is AJR a thing? People like AJR? Okay. My daughter loves AJR, and she's 12. Okay, so there is a new Weezer song featuring AJR. I don't know for sure if I would actually recommend the song or not. I couldn't find any Chicago or, or uh, police or any of those, The Who, Jim, Ron, this band you like. Couldn't find one like that. Because I wanted to unite all generations. With this new song, it's called All My Favorite Songs. And there is a line in there. I was listening to this with Kate in the car. And it says, all my favorite people make me mad, so mad. And I thought, ain't that the truth? The people that make me the most upset, 
the people that it is the most difficult to love are those who are closest to me. And I have experienced that in church over and over and over again. We all have some church hurt, church baggage. In fact, that's one of the best ways I connect with those outside of the church. They share their story of baggage and say, hey, I'm with you. I have a lot of hurt and pain from people I've been very close with. Family, um, you know, it's, it's dangerous when, you're, when you have kids as a pastor because it's easy to roll in all these stories of failure and tension within family. I'm not going to do that today. Um, I mean, I do that sometimes, though, and the kids bring it up. I'm like, why'd you tell that story? But I was even thinking about uh, the, the reality of divorce and the pain that that causes. Um, when you choose someone out of all the people in the world and you say, I want to commit my life to you forever, and then it's the hardest person in the world to love, and there's a great break and divide. And, and Paul talks about um, marriage really is a picture of the church, the bride of Christ to Jesus. And how often does Jesus feel like our enemy? He's trying to lead and direct in a certain way and we don't want to go. So I think if we really allow ourselves, we get it that, that loving those closest to you is actually most difficult. And Paul really understood this. In Galatians 5, um, Writing to a group of churches in Galatia, he says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And Paul, and in a couple places, one of, one of which is here, he says the whole law is fulfilled in one word. So we're used to Jesus teaching the love God, love neighbor, but Paul says the whole thing can be summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. But within the church, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Back in the day, if you know a little church history, you know, there was one church in a city. So it'd be like the church of Manhattan. So if things were really, really hard, you couldn't just dip out and go wherever you wanted. So they, they, they kind of had like a, a little bit of a pressure to figure it out and work it out. But one of the challenges we have culturally is that we have tons and tons of churches. I mean, you can kind of pick your flavor of the month, and that's what a lot of people do. It's, it's really hard to have an, an environment that you are in it for the long haul together to really flesh out what does it mean to love one another as Christ loved us to the point that the watching world looks and says, I know that they follow Jesus, and I could see myself there as well. So think about these 12 disciples and, their, and their, uh, their little entourage, if you will. So this, this is a joke I made up. I told you guys, I'll let you know I'm not funny. Uh, a bunch of fishermen, a tax collector, and a zealot walk into a bar. I don't know how the joke ends, but I think it's world-changing. So, I, thanks for the sympathy laughs. So in the 12, you have a bunch of fishermen, right? Rough and tumble crew. The Chosen, that, that, that show, I haven't watched all of it, but man, it does such a great job building the, the tension between these factions. You have a tax collector. So this is a lot of animosity, a lot of hatred between these, these factions. And you have a zealot among others. And then Jesus teaches them, like, love each other as I've loved you. And by the way, I'm going to die rise again and leave, but I'll send you some help. 
So that was a rough, that, that's a rough environment uh, to figure out this love thing. I mean, it's the type of, uh, the, the, the power of the cross to allow that type of group to love one another is the type of power that is required to, to bring peace to Israel and Palestine, right? And it has that type of power to do that. So not only was this group of 12, 12 men, um, you know, really, really difficult group to wrap your mind around, how are they going to love one another, especially when their leader leaves? But there's a group of women with them. You read in Luke 8, um, the, this, is, this is the type of women that traveled with Jesus and these 12 men. Uh, a woman who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, whom, uh, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chizza, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, many others who provided for them out of their means. What an environment. These, these women and these men, they don't just follow Jesus and all their issues go away. They bring them into community and then are tasked to love one another. And these disciples, the, the men and the women, they stayed the course in following Jesus, not perfectly, but they stayed the course to the point that we here in Manhattan, Kansas, the end of the earth from Jerusalem, are having a conversation about how to follow this crucified carpenter from Nazareth and how to invite others into that. So Bruce Milne, in his commentary, he says this of this passage in John 13 about loving one another. He says, we also note the evangelistic power of love. A loving community, says Jesus, is the visible authentication of the gospel. Love is the final apologetic. It's the final defense for the faith, according to Francis Schaeffer, a great thinker of old. Jesus places no limit on this demonstration. All will recognize and know it. Unlike other associations, which are based upon, upon common interest or outlook, the church is to be marked by an inclusiveness which echoes the universal appeal of Jesus. And he goes on, he says, it is designated as a community which welcomes all people, irrespective of their background, their age, their gender, their color, their moral history, their social status, their influence, their intelligence, their religious background, or lack of it. So anyone who hears these words, you know, can find themselves and see themselves within the church. To love like Jesus is to love inclusively and discriminately and universally. And then when that kind of love flows within a congregation, the world will take note, like they did of the disciples, that they have been with Jesus. Another way to put it, what kind of car did the disciples drive? Taylor knows. Yeah, a Honda, because they were all together in one accord. Perfect. So we can truly show the world Jesus by our love for one another, and then people will be able to see, maybe I can be a part of that community. Because if they can figure out how to love that guy, and I'm not pointing at anyone in particular, they can figure out how to love me, and I can experience love like I've never experienced it. And... Um, by the way, Jesus calls us to change. So he doesn't just call us from all these backgrounds and leave us the same. Uh, the Chosen does a great job highlighting uh, another one of Jesus' parables, the parable of the net. Our, our goal, our, our responsibility is to cast out the net, to love people 
bring in the harvest. We aren't the ones to sort out the good fish and the bad fish or to start pulling the weeds out of the seeds that have been planted prematurely. That's Jesus and his angels' role. Our role is to love indiscriminately like Christ loved and like he showed. So, yes. So when Jesus uh, tasks these, these 12 disciples, 12 minus 1, Judas, um, to love one another as he has loved them, he has so much more in mind than they could ever have imagined. They were thinking, man, this, this little Jewish group is going to grow. We're going to reach a few people. But when Jesus said earlier in John, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to me. There will be one flock, one shepherd. He had so many types of people in mind. And a little later at the upper room discourse, when he's praying, he lifts his hands and he looks up to the Father and he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. So love one another, Jesus says, just as I have loved you. By this, all people will know you're my disciples. So just briefly, because we could talk at length about how do we love one another? We could even walk through five love languages and all the different ways we like to be loved and offer love. But I would, I would challenge you to think about love as being present with someone. Just, just try that on. Just experiment a little bit with that. So if we were to replace uh, love with be present, the John 13, 34 to 35 would sound like this. A new commandment I give to you that you be present with one another. Just as I have been present with you, you're also to be present with one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you're present with one another. So what if we, tall grass, the well, tall grass at the well, what if we learn to love one another like this? We were truly present with one another in our joys and sorrows, our hurts and pains. We brought ourselves to one another. We gave space for people to be present with us. So whatever happens with this, this thing we're trying, tall grass at the well, whether we wrap, wrap this up with a couple great Sundays, we have a few more friends to neighbor well out there with, or we keep exploring this possible collaboration, um, we can love one another and invite the watching world into that. Whatever the future holds, I believe we can be better together for the kingdom of God here in Manhattan, Kansas. So I'm going to pray for us and invite Josh up here and we'll try to be present with one another for a few moments. Father, thanks for the, the morning together. Thank you for your word. Thank you that, that Christ... Uh, loved in the way in which he loved, that he came and he took on flesh and he was truly present with us and that he um, faced every temptation we could but yet was without sin and he died on our behalf so that we could experience newness of life in him. I pray that we would follow closely his lead as we um, seek to do community with one another. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Amen. So grab a couple. So last week, uh, Pastor Josh invited me up and asked me a couple questions, and um, I felt like it'd be fun to do the same and just to be present with one another, especially as we're exploring this tall grass at the well, get to know one another a little bit. Hey, that was really good, by the way. I really, oh. uh, that question in, in the beginning, what's, what's more difficult, to love your enemy or love your neighbor? It kind of, it just really highlights the, the, a mentality that says, oh, sure, I love people out there, but do I really love the person next to me? I yeah. think that's really, really good. Thanks for that. Yeah, absolutely. It's a challenge. Uh, the thing that I was thinking about was uh, so Josh and I are pretty are similar in many many ways, but our our faith stories are actually pretty different, and um, we have this this kind of overlap of Delta Upsilon that kind of in some ways represents the difference of our faith journeys. So I thought it would be good to just share some of our journey of faith. Most, a lot of it's because I want to hear yours and how you put words to it. So yeah. Uh, can you share a little bit with, yeah. with us, your yeah, journey absolutely. of coming to faith? So I grew up in Wichita, so I'm, I'm Kansas, born and raised, and I uh, came to K-State in 1997, so a while ago. Um, so, <laughs> thank you. The peanut, peanut gallery over here is... I don't know uh, why that's funny. I don't know why that's funny either. I'm just two we'll years go with later. Um, so, <laughs> We're getting uh, old. So my family growing up, we, we didn't um, regularly attend church. It was, um, I remember lots of uh, Christmases, Easter's, and some sprinkling of youth group during the high school years. Um, but other than that, that was it. We had, we had a belief in God, but uh, I did not have a, a, an understanding of Jesus or, or salvation or anything like that. And so when I came to college, I hit the party scene pretty hard. Uh, ben mentioned I was in a, a fraternity, I was in a, a, a DU, and so loved my experience there, but my weekend started on Thursday, if not Tuesday, and I have the GPA to prove that that's exactly mm-hmm. what happened. And so, so I, I hit the party scene and, and just went absolutely um, just all in for that. And my senior year, uh, 9-11 happened, and so that, there was a lot of existential questions about life, and it no longer felt safe to live in the middle of the country with a military base next door. Like, there was just lots of, uh, you know, I had friends that were thinking about, okay, now, now it's, there's a lot of patriotism around that time, so I had friends that, that uh, were thinking of joining the military and, and, and things like that uh, uh, to get involved, to be a part of the solution. But I just remember that, that year um, thinking, I... I I no longer think that, you know, getting a degree and and having a house with a white picket fence and 2.5 kids, that that doesn't sound as appealing because the world feels so, so different right now. And we had a guy uh, who was uh, a a younger guy, mid-20s, who was... um, did Bible studies at the, at the fraternity house, and I would join, and I would kind of use like a weekend Bible study as a conscience cleanse, or I would, I would, I would dip into a, a, a church service on Sunday morning, mostly because there was a girl that I liked, and you know, you'd kind of, yeah, sure, I go to church, why not? Um, but I just remember this guy inviting me out for coffee, and I did not drink coffee 
like when I got saved, I got really saved. Like, so I drank beer. And then when I got saved, like that was kind of off the table for a long, long time. Right. And so it was like, then I started drinking coffee. Anyway, that started my coffee addiction. Uh, ha- appreciation, I think is a better way to say it. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I had a, had a guy that invited me out for coffee and would, during that same time of questioning, he would ask me questions like, you know, God wants everything from you. Right. And I'm like, what are you talking about, man? Like, Jesus wants my life. Like, what? I have never heard that in a church service. I've never heard other Christians talk like this. Um, sometimes I would see people at the bars on Saturday night and in church Sunday morning, which is a, that's good. But in my mind, I thought, so I'm doing just as much as everybody else. I'm, I'm as good. I'm doing good, right? It's kind of like this moralism was in my life. And so anyway, um, he, would, he would invite me out to coffee and just say outrageous things like, Jesus wants to save you from everything. And I'm like, man, I have, I have no idea what you're talking about. It's the clearest, kindest, firmest gen, uh, gospel presentation mm-hmm. re- that I've ever heard in my life. And so anyway, I remember, I remember sitting in the fraternity um, with him and another friend of mine. And they're asking me, so what do you think it's going to take for you to just give your life to, to Jesus? And I, I, said, I remember saying this, I feel like I'm standing on the edge of the cliff and I need a push big mistake, right? Like, actually said that out loud, right? Because a few weeks later, uh, I, was, we were, I was out drinking with uh, some fraternity friends on a Wednesday night, because that's what you did, and I got pulled. I was the DD, which unfortunately meant I didn't have as much to drink as everybody else. Like, that's just, in the college mind, just ridiculous things that you think. But I got pulled over uh, out by City Park, uh, for, and, and got arrested for a DUI and absolutely like humiliated, right? Naming the blotter, everybody in the fraternity knows. And I felt like I was a good person up to that point in time. I felt like I was go- doing good things. I was making it to Bible study, check. Occasional Sunday morning church, check. Like we're good, God, right? No, we're not good. I got the push I needed. And in, in handcuffs at the police station, I developed a prayer life like that. But it was still this bargain like, oh my God, you know, hands behind my back, God, if you, please, just let me pass this blood alcohol, like, come on, get me out of this, I'll give you everything. Well, he didn't save me from that circumstance, but he really used it, because the next week, meeting at Redina's in in, uh, Aggieville, uh, like, the the neighborhood of my, you know, college debauchery lifestyle, right, I got saved in the back of Redina's, because the guy goes, hey, tell me what happened, I heard something happen, told him the story, and just without any condemnation or shame, he, he asked me, so what would you like me, what, what do you want to do about that? And I told him, I'll do anything you tell me to do. I'll do anything. You tell me how to fix this, help me like salvage my life after this, because I thought it was just, I was over, I was humiliated. And so he led me to Jesus uh, under there in the uh, back wall of, a, of, a, of, of the coffee shop. So that's my story. So basically I spent my 20s like, what is life now? Like, I have, I, I feel like I, I've really had this born-again experience. Like, I just felt like, like, not everything got fixed overnight, but it felt like I was really alive to, to God, and, and, like, life just looked different uh, than before. Mm-hmm. And so I spent my 20s just seeking out God, just wanting to know, <laughs> I believe in God, I believe that Jesus is his son, I believe that he died for me, and I've just got to know this man. Like, I'm fascinated. I, I felt like this had all been hidden from me, or, or like I just, I, I got led into this secret that wasn't this secret anymore, and I just had to know more about God. So that's, I spent my 20s doing that, basically. 
Awesome. That's great. So my story is very different. And this is one of the reasons I wanted to have a share of stories is I think a lot about one of my favorite parables is, or the favorite, is the parable of the uh, prodigal sons. Um, because you, as you describe your story, it's a little bit like that younger son, um, you know, ended up in the party scene. And um, Whereas I very much resonate with that older brother. I don't know if you remember that story who, when the younger son came back and there's a big party, the older brother's like, I've been doing everything right all this time and, and I, don't got, I don't get a celebration. And uh, like whenever you were in handcuffs, I could have been the, the guy trying to evangelize down in Aggieville and walk by in, in judgment, you know. So my story, I, I uh, grew up in a Christian home. I, um, I prayed the prayer to follow Christ at a young age, age seven. And um, I've always wrestled with, did I come into relationship with Christ at age seven or was it 19 in college when I began to understand the depth of my sin and my mom swears I was a changed little boy so I have no reason to argue with her and I remember the uh, conviction of the spirit even at that young age to we used to do altar calls and go forward and and be baptized and take the Lord's Supper Um, but there was something about uh, that older brother always trying to do the right thing, continuing to try to earn, earn God's love, earn God's favor, and feeling, man, this is exhausting, you know, I need to experience grace. And so there's been those points over the years where um, I, I experienced that, but it's this ongoing journey with God where sometimes like, I wish I had that story But I'm learning that, you know, God is calling people with all sorts of backgrounds, like that quote said. Like, sometimes the greater miracle is God getting to the heart of the person who grew up in the church and never sowed the wild oats. Now, I've sowed my own wild oats in my own way as a firstborn, older son from the story, but, but never gone off that deep end in that way, and yet then to come to terms with my, uh, my depravity before Christ and the need to experience his love and his grace. You know, that's a miracle as well. And that's one of the things I, I get excited about is continuing um, in the possibilities of, of our friendship, whether it's tall grass at the well or just in the community, is our stories and there's space for people. There's a lot of people that grew up in the church and have, have totally become disenfranchised because they, they feel they never had this amazing encounter with God or they just are weary of the, the religious game and they, they, they check everything. Um, God is calling people like that to a deeper experience at the foot of the cross and people coming out of so much difficulty, um, and like, like your story. Um, but I, I thought about the, the DU thing because... Um, it kind of represented the, the difference in our story. So Delta Upsilon um, is a fraternity um, up on what, college? University. University, yeah. yeah. And um, so I, w- I was on staff with the Navigators trying to do the right thing, and, and I thought to myself, okay, I need to do something really challenging to show how much I love God um, who, who would be a big challenge for me to love and minister to? Well, those rotten DUs, for and sure. So, so I'm still a work in progress, but to give you a, a sense of 
how much I resonate with the older brother, I thought to myself, I just don't get the fraternity, sorority system thing. Man, they really, really need Jesus. I'm going to do a Bible study because that's really going to stretch me out of my comfort zone. And, and it did. But it, there is so much in that is just trying to be the guy who does the right thing and, and proves himself. And, um, and God is so patient and gracious. And he'll meet me even there. And he's continuing to, to sharpen us day by day and iron, iron sharpening iron. So yeah, it was so, so wild because I remember, uh, so I had, I'd, yeah, I, I remember coming back several, a couple years after uh, I was saved just to, because I had that similar, like, there's some good, good guys here in the house and there are guys that don't know Jesus and I have a story that I can maybe share. So it was like kind of that, like, older guy that should have, like, moved on with his life but still, like, stops by the fraternity. That was me. And... I don't I, even know what I was doing there. I was just you, the random we guy. We were hanging who's... out because we, Napoleon Dynamite had just come out on DVD. And so you were, you were over there to watch Napoleon Dynamite with the Bible study. And I was there and I'm like, yeah, I haven't seen this movie yet. So my first viewing experience of Napoleon huh. Dynamite was with you, man. Oh, so. good. That's a good memory. Yeah. All of this culminates with that. It that does. It's, I mean, it's just funny to, to yeah. consider what God has done since yeah, then. Yeah, absolutely. Here we are. Yeah, well, thanks so much for, uh, I'm, well, hopefully we'll have more times for conversations like these. And actually during pizza, I have an activity, um, a challenge for us. It's called Love the Other. And if, for any who will take that challenge, it's, it's a, an attempt to be present and kind of go deep quickly in conversation. And um, I, I think that will be a great way for us to continue to get to know one another and practice for our our neighbors and, and to, to sit and ask questions and listen. So, um, well, let's call the band up and sing, yeah. shall we? Yeah. So. Come on up, worship team. Yep. Thanks, Ben. Yeah. Still. Hello? Edie? Okay. As the band's coming up, I wanted. <laughs> I wanted to, to share with us one more scene in the ministry of Jesus, and this is uh, when he is on the cross. Uh, this Mark 15, verse 39, says this, when the centurion, so this is the centurion who's, who's been complicit in the execution of Jesus Christ, and this is a long ordeal. You know, he's hanging there for hours and by the way, the cross, would, he would not have been way up high. He would have most likely been eye level so that when people walk along the thoroughfare, they could see the eyes of the crucified person to know they shouldn't mess with Rome. So when the centurion who stood facing Jesus saw that in this way he cried out and breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. And I want to invite you to consider and be present in that moment with the centurion, the first to come to grips with the reality that something of cosmic proportions has just happened with the death of this man, Jesus Christ. Was the centurion Jesus' enemy? Absolutely. Was he an enemy of the Jews? Absolutely. Was he an enemy of the disciples who cowered in fear and weren't even present? Absolutely. And yet this hardened professional executioner, chances are high, came to faith in Christ. What, what must that have been like when he 
He was looking for who, who are the people that follow this man who I just killed. And he's able to see how they love one another and begin to ask the question, could I be a part of that community? That's powerful. And think of Christ as his life is being snuffed out of him as he looks into the eyes of that centurion. And I'm sure there's blood and sweat dripping And he's like, this is why I'm dying, for this man. And I've just entrusted these these 11, love one another so that this man can find room at the table. This command, last quote, uh, this command is new also in the sheer depth and the demand of the summons to love which Jesus issues. In the light of the cross, all other descriptions and definitions of love pale into insignificance. Here indeed is love so amazing, so divine. Yet according to Jesus, this is just normal for Christian community. Let's sing together, amazing love. This teaching was recorded in partnership between Tallgrass Community Church and The Well. For more resources like this, visit tallgrass.church and thewellmhk.com.